Hello, and welcome to the Homegrown Horticulture Podcast. Today, we discuss three hydrangea species that do really well in the Intermountain West. We talk about necrotic ring spot, that horrible lawn disease, and intern Annie Smith makes Mexican cornbread, a wonderful cornbread that you actually won't choke to death on. Hydrangeas are among the most desired summer blooming shrubs to be grown in Utah. Especially those who have lived out of state have seen the beautiful blue and pink hydrangea bushes and they want to grow them here. So I'm with USU student horticulturist and intern Annie Smith again, and Annie has put a lot of research and work into finding more about hydrangeas. Annie, how are you doing? I'm very good. So what have you found out about the the blue and pink hydrangeas that everyone wants? So those hydrangeas are a variety called mop head or big leaf hydrangeas. Um, they're the ones that are kind of interesting because they change their color based on the acidity or alkalinity of the soil, but they generally don't do very well in the inner mountain west. So there's some other varieties that are a little better suited for this area. I know on the KSL Greenhouse show and just in my office, a very common question is, why aren't my hydrangeas blooming or it's been three years since they bloomed? Or how come I can't turn my hydrangea pink? And it's this big leaf hydrangea that people are calling in about. I mean, that's one of the more common varieties. People want that to do well here, but then when they plant it and it doesn't, it's a big thing. <laughs> Sadness comes. Yeah. <laughs> so you research three different hydrangea species that actually do well here. Um, the three that I wanted to talk about are smooth hydrangeas, panicle hydrangeas, and oak leaf hydrangeas. And they each have different features that make them desirable if let's, you want something Yeah, different. let's start with smooth hydrangea. Okay, so they're usually white flowers, but they have these really cool round flower patterns. So they can be up to eight inches wide and they just look like a ball, like a snowball. And they can come in different colors too. There's a common one called Annabelle, Incredible, Incredible Blush. Yeah, and so the Annabelle and, and Incredible, which is a new one, those are white. Yeah, they. so Incredible has a couple different colors in it too, but generally smooth hydrangeas are naturally white. But you can get them in lime green, red, mauvette is another variety. They're pretty cool. Hydrangeas in general, this is true for all of the ones that I was going to be talking about, but they like well-drained soil with a high moisture content and a little bit of protection from full sun just since it's hot here. I've noticed that the smooth hydrangea as well as the panicle hydrangea does well in quite a bit of sun, but I definitely would at least keep them off a hot south exposure. So the next one that you found was called panicle hydrangea. Yes, and these are really interesting too. These have more of a cone shape, like a soft ice cream cone shape um, flower, which is why they're called panicle hydrangeas. Um, and their color changes more based on the temperature than on the soil chemistry like big leaf hydrangeas do. They're usually white to a soft pink, but again, they have all the different colors like green and pink. They have a cool variety called Pinky Winky, actually, that um, the base of the panicle starts off pink and then it fades to white. So they kind of look bicolor. Really interesting. I liked them a lot. <laughs> there are several neat varieties out there that I've noticed growing in downtown Provo around the Provo Temple 
and around several buildings that I think should be incorporated into people's yards a lot more. So the next one is oak leaf hydrangea. Yes, and these are my favorite out of the three that I looked into. They have a ton of variety in color, um, and they have a really interesting stacked look to their flowers. They're pretty all year round because they have really beautiful dark green foliage in the summer when they're flowering, and then they have awesome fall color too that can range from yellow to red to orange and then to this deep purple color so they have that going for them in the fall and then in the winter they have this really pretty reddish cinnamon colored bark so when that's peeking out of the snow that looks nice too their their flowers are awesome too and they have a bunch of different sizes that you can get so if you don't have a lot of room in your yard there's a variety called peewee that's like uh four feet by three feet about I think that's about the size and then there's another one called Alice that's 15 feet tall and wide so you can have it as big or as small as you want. So on the hydrangeas this goes for all of the species you've talked about but the buyers need to be aware of the eventual size and so you really need to look at the description. Yeah it's important to do research on these. Yeah because you know like you said they can vary anywhere from three or four feet on up to 10 or 15 feet. Mm -hmm. And the worst thing I see in yards a lot is when people misplant and have to yank out a beautiful plant. Yeah, that's, it's always unfortunate. Oak leaf hydrangeas actually change their color based on age. So at the first of the summer, they're usually a lighter white to soft pink color, but then they change their color later in the year to darker pinks, reds, there's some varieties that have these really awesome bronze blush colored. And so you have a hydrangea that changes based on temperature, one based on time it's around, and then another one that's just more consistent throughout the season. So there's a lot of different things that you can be looking for when you buy a hydrangea plant. You've said you've noticed that some nurseries are starting to carry other species of hydrangeas besides these three. Oh, yeah, there's a ton of different species that are available. These three are the ones that I noticed that were, they do best in Utah. But if you are more willing to take some extra special care of your plants, you could grow some different things like climbing hydrangeas. There's a lot of different varieties and species. I know that a friend named Cameron Alcott, who manages over at Progressive Plants, and I'm not singling them out above anybody else, has taken special interest in hydrangeas. And he's found several that he feels like does well here, especially with some afternoon shade. And so it is worth checking with local garden centers. Yeah, you can find almost anything you're looking for in a hydrangea just because of how many varieties there are. Well, thank you, Annie. Time is greatly appreciated. And we'll have you back probably several times next week. I'm excited. Necrotic ring spot is one of the most dreaded lawn diseases in existence in Utah. It's a fungal disease that shows up in the spring during cool, wet weather. Oftentimes you'll see parts of your lawn turn to a lighter green. During hotter weather, these light green spots, especially with some drought stress, will brown out and you may actually see the brown spots increase. Necrotic ring spot is a root disease 
And so what happens as the infection gets inside the roots is, is that it inhibits the grass's ability to take up enough water and nutrients from the soil, and the grass just eventually dies. Necrotic ring spot is called a patch disease, but you may see dead spots in hook shapes or circles. And if you see a dead circle where the grass is alive inside, then what has happened is the grass is recovered and the fungus is spreading out in a circular pattern. At the edges where the grass is newly dying, the grass will oftentimes have a reddish brown color that fades to a straw yellow. And then if you do some digging and carefully look at the roots, especially on the newly dead grass, the roots will have a rotted black appearance. I'm often asked where necrotic ring spot got into the lawn from, and there are several possibilities. A primary one is that it could have already been in your soil, and for whatever reason, it overwhelmed the grass's defenses and the disease got established. Another is, is that it could be spread from lawn equipment from mowing companies or aerating companies that go from yard to yard. This equipment, although it's recommended it be cleaned between every yard, it's quite difficult to actually clean. And so I've seen several situations to where I can follow a route of a particular lawn company because every yard has necrotic ring spot. I have also noted that necrotic ring spot is much more common in lawns that are overly maintained. Overly maintained would mean over-fertilized, over-watered, and mowed too low. The disease also shows up more commonly in two- to three-year-old lawns that were planted from sod instead of seed. One other thing about necrotic ring spot is that it is also especially common on lawns planted in heavy clay or on extremely compacted soil. In these situations, the turf is less healthy and more susceptible to diseases in general. Initially, the easiest way to detect necrotic ring spot are to look for those brown spots or the hook shapes or the rings in your lawn. But from there, you need to do further investigation. Look for the brownish-red turf at the edges of the infection sites on your lawn that eventually fade to straw yellow. You can also dig up the roots of the newly dead lawn to see if the roots are black. Now one thing with necrotic ring spot is that because the roots are rotten, over time as that grass just sits there dead, it will pull up without roots fairly easily and you may think that you have an insect problem and so you need to inspect the grass that is dead very recently. You can also submit a sample to the Utah State University Pest Lab in Logan. I will include a link in the show notes to access the pest lab submission forms. Once you know you have necrotic ring spot, there are some options in how to treat it, but none of them alone will get rid of the disease. The first one is to not let your lawn dry out between irrigations. Kentucky bluegrass likes to be deep watered two to three times a week. Normally, this is great for the lawn because it forces it to root more deeply and actually makes it more healthy. But if necrotic ring spot is present in your lawn, the roots are weakened. Because their ability to uptake water and nutrients is diminished, what you can do is water for four or five minutes a day between your regular irrigation days. Another option is to use fertilizer 
that contains slow-release nitrogen. Excessive nitrogen causes really fast growth, and oftentimes grass that is unhealthy can't keep up with it and is more susceptible to dying from diseases. Slow-release fertilizer reduces the amount of nitrogen that the lawn receives at one period of time over a longer period, and so it's easier for the grass to take up those smaller amounts and it helps reduce the amount of death in the lawn. In areas where necrotic ring spot just won't go away, reseeding may be needed. The process involves aerating heavily and then putting grass seed down and keeping that area watered enough for the grass seed to germinate. A list of Kentucky bluegrass varieties resistant to necrotic ring spot is included in the fact sheet in the show notes. Another option as far as grass seed is perennial ryegrass. It is reportedly immune to necrotic ring spot, and so an option would be to overseed with it if you cannot find any resistant Kentucky bluegrass varieties. I am also often asked about fungicides. It seems like there should be a fungicide that you can apply to your lawn that would just get rid of necrotic ring spot, but unfortunately that's just not true. There are many fungicides registered, but their success is sporadic. The best time to actually apply a fungicide is in the spring, right when air temperatures are around 70 degrees. Some report that they've had success with fall applications when temperatures are cooler. Keep in mind that applications of fungicides alone will not get rid of necrotic ring spot unless you are using other management practices previously discussed. And so if you suspect you have necrotic ring spot, have it diagnosed, and honestly, good luck. It can be difficult to get rid of, but with persistent efforts, you will be able to do so. But unfortunately, it may take a number of years. I am back with Utah State University's student horticulturist and intern, Annie Smith. And besides her gardening abilities, one thing that she enjoys doing is finding alternative recipes using locally fresh produce. And this week, what did you bake? I made Mexican cornbread. So how does Mexican cornbread differ from traditional American cornbread? The basis of the recipes are pretty similar, but it just has a few extra ingredients that make it a little more exciting. <laughs> so what are those ingredients? Um, the main ingredients that are different are adding cheddar cheese or just your favorite kind of cheese to the mixture. Some Mexican style corn, which I'll talk about in a minute. And then some green chilies, like diced green chilies from a can, or if you're growing jalapenos, you can slip those in too. So for those who are adverse to chilies and jalapenos for whatever reason, you actually don't need to put these in, but they do add a unique flavor that's quite good. Not a necessary ingredient, but I like spicy. So you actually paired this with zucchini enchiladas that we featured a couple of weeks ago. And how did that go? Perfect combo. Match made in heaven, says me anyways. <laughs> when you made this cornbread, you said that it was quite moist. 
Yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it was less dry than usual cornbread, which is usually a little too crumbly for me. I don't like how messy it is, but this stayed together quite a bit better. And this particular Mexican cornbread, you could just eat on its own without having to put anything on it. And I think the ingredient that made the most difference was that Mexican corn that I mentioned a minute ago. You can buy it in a can or make it fresh if you're growing sweet corn or you want to buy it from a local vendor. But it's three-fourths of a cup of fresh sweet corn kernels that you just get off the cob, and then about a fourth of a cup of red or green sweet peppers and a pinch of salt and a pinch of sugar. So it's really easy to make, really easy to buy, just depending on how fresh you want your ingredients to be. But I think it made the cornbread way more moist and it stuck together better, tasted better. I actually made this. My kids did not like the actual corn being in the cornbread. It was so different to them. And so I remade it. And instead of using the Mexican corn, I used cream corn and I blended it. And then I made the recipe with blended cream corn and it was still quite moist and a little bit sweeter, I think, from the cream corn and the kids loved it. And so if you're trying to introduce your kids to new foods, that might be an alternative that you could try. I think adding the fresher corn does make it stay together much better than an American cornbread with just the cornmeal and flour. So I noticed also, and I had never realized this about cornbread because the particular recipe I use doesn't call for it, but there's buttermilk in it. There is. I think that helps with the baking to make it a little fluffier. So it would interact with the baking soda and baking powder in there, and it would add a lot of fluff, for lack of a better term, to the recipe. So was there anything you found um, making this that the listener should be aware of? The recipe itself is pretty easy. One thing uh, technique-wise that made it a lot easier was just putting down parchment paper on the bottom of the pan. You can just lift the cornbread right out of the pan if you put parchment paper down first. Then you don't have that mess of trying to cut it up and like getting it all the crumbs everywhere. So that was handy just to put that down first, and then it made it really easy to take off, cut it up. I imagine it made uh, cleaning your baking pan up after the fact a lot easier. Yes, So as far as difficulty on baking this on one being easy and five being difficult, where would you rank it? I got to say like a two or a three. Like if you can put ingredients in a bowl, you can bake this. (laughs) It's pretty easy. So Mexican cornbread, I would encourage folks to try this because it is a lot more moist and you won't choke to death if you try to eat it. So Annie, thank you. Thank you. The Homegrown Horticulture Podcast is a production of Utah State University Extension. Thank you for listening.